calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we're going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. Ellis drove into the hospital parking garage at 7.15. The hospital appeared calm in the murky haze of early morning. Two ambulances sat empty beside the building. Judging by the thick coat of frost on both their windshields, Ellis guessed it had been a quiet night. He wasn't sure how to feel about that. On your first day as a mortician's apprentice, were you supposed to hope for a quiet, boring day to orient yourself, or was it better to be thrown right into the fire, as it were? Ellis parked, then entered the hospital through the emergency room, since the main entrance would not open until 7.30. He had already taken a tour and met his mentor, head mortician Felix Vitali, so he went straight to the morgue to clock in. It was in the basement, which was a few decades behind the rest of the hospital. Besides the morgue, the basement only housed janitorial storage and a biohazardous waste furnace, so no one bothered to keep it looking pretty. An early bird, I see, said Felix Vitali, entering and seeing Ellis crouched over the morgue computer. Sorry, it's just first-day jitters, Ellis replied. He stood up straight to look Felix in the face. Don't apologize, early is good. Felix hopped a white coat off of a hook next to the desk and slid it on. It was slow last night. We'll have plenty of time to... Vivid red and blue colors flashed throughout the room. Felix and Ellis both looked to the high, narrow windows behind them. A second later, a siren whooped and pavement crackled as an ambulance pulled away. The siren quickly faded into the distance and the lights disappeared. You'll get used to that. The ambulances park right out there, Felix said. Now the second ambulance fired up and sped off in the same direction. Ellis listened carefully and picked out a few more sirens in the distance. Police? 
Fire? Felix showed Ellis all his tools, explaining the purpose of each one in simple terms Ellis wished his professors had used. Felix introduced him to the morgue's current guests, as he referred to the bodies stashed in the refrigerated containment drawers. Ellis had overcome any reaction to seeing dead bodies, but seeing what he couldn't help but think of as real people roll out on slabs instead of cadavers donated to the classroom was a solemn experience. Those people had probably made plans for that morning, too. Roughly thirty minutes later, both ambulances returned with their sirens still on. Twenty minutes after that, a transporter in brown scrubs brought a covered gurney to the morgue. Felix signed the paperwork and rolled the gurney inside. Blackish-red stains seeped through the sheet covering the body. It was going to be a messy job. Looking over the paperwork, Felix said, Pickup versus motorcycle accident on the freeway. Oof. He inhaled deeply, then sighed. Well, this is the job, my friend. Just another day at the office. He gestured at Ellis to pull back the sheet. Ellis had seen images of all sorts of mutilated bodies, corpses that didn't even look human anymore. But seeing the mangled motorcyclist on the gurney almost made him hurl. He silently thanked himself for skipping breakfast that morning. A tough first, said Felix. This is about as bad as it gets. The sooner we get started, the better, though. Best not to overthink it. Ellis heard him but wasn't listening. He was too busy studying the remaining face of his first, real body. Real in the sense that it was raw and unsanitized. The motorcyclist had obviously not been wearing a helmet. His head looked like a deflated football. His hair and skin had been ground off of one side of it, exposing a thick stew of muscle, bone fragments, and bits of gravel. The eye socket on that side was an exposed crescent moon filled with congealing blood. The ocular nerve looked like a worm crawling out of the brain and sucking the yolk out of an egg, the withered shell actually being the corpse's deflated eyeball, of course. The victim's detached left hand had been lain by his left shoulder. The rest of that arm was folded beneath him. His leather jacket had protected much of his torso. The skin, at least. His chest was totally caved in and his right arm shattered. The big surprise came when Ellis folded the sheet past the man's knees. There was a gap between his torso and pelvis. Gore had been piled between his two halves by whoever had scooped him off the road. Is your mask on tight? Felix asked. Ellis made sure his surgical mask was snug against his cheeks and nose. He nodded, and Felix nodded back. A grim nod which said, Then let's get this over with. For a while they worked in silence, only speaking when necessary, but eventually they adapted to their grotesque task. Ellis was searching for the victim's teeth when Felix asked him, What kind of music do you like? Music? Ellis echoed. Yeah, I've heard of it. Sorry, it's just, I thought I might have misheard. Felix turned away to write something. When he returned, he asked, So, who's an artist you like? Uh, I guess if I had to pick one, maybe Chris Stapleton? You sound real sure about that. Well, I'm not a big music guy. Hey, as long as you don't say typo negative or the cure, we're good. Why? asked Ellis. 
because half the creeps your school sends me are goth tryhards that are a little too into death and the dead. You feel me? Ellis laughed for the first time that day. It would be his last laugh for a long time. I've met a few students like that, yeah. So, what do you listen to? Please, I'm a 32-year-old American. Taylor Swift, of course. She fixes the vibe in here pretty quick on darker days. Want me to put her on now? Ellis pulled a molar from inside the victim's throat and tried to imagine Shake It Off playing in the background. He said, No, that's okay, thanks. Suit yourself. You'll learn to brighten the mood eventually, or else you'll go crazy. You'll see every type of person in every type of condition here. Kids. Infants even. The old, the young, the beautiful, the not so much. If you don't take care of yourself, you'll end up like a zombie down here among the dead. I could see that, Ellis answered. He wondered if Felix had gone a little crazy despite all the Taylor Swift. After a couple of minutes, Felix looked up and asked, Did you just press on the brain? Ellis examined the tissue he was extracting teeth from and decided it was just jaw muscle. He said, No, why? Felix stepped back, cocked his head, and stared at the body, unblinking. Ellis paused. Had he done something wrong? It was hard to read Felix with half of his face covered by a surgical mask. Ellis could not tell if he was angry or confused or... scared? You sure you didn't do anything that could have made him move? Felix asked. Ellis cautiously shook his head. Huh. His, uh, his finger twitched. Cadaveric spasm? Ellis suggested. No, it's been too long. Maybe I bumped something and didn't notice. The look Felix gave Ellis implied that he thought Ellis had done the bumping and just wouldn't fess up. They resumed their work. After Ellis finished counting teeth, Felix told him, They like us to determine cause of death even in situations like this. Why don't you open him up and see if you can figure out what did it? Personally, this is, if I can be so macabre, my favorite part. I don't get it, Ellis replied. Isn't it pretty obvious what happened? Just try to determine exactly what shut him off. If it was the brain injury, perhaps being torn in half, possibly blood loss, that kind of data helps develop better safety gear, etc., Besides, if we have to stand here and smell this guy's intestinal tract all morning, we may as well have ourselves a bit of fun, yeah? Yeah, Ellis hesitantly agreed. He picked up a scalpel and got started. His Y-cut from the shoulders to the sternum was uneven and jagged. Ellis peeled the skin back and found all the ribs had been crushed. The guy would have bled out internally if he hadn't been ripped in half, or if he didn't suffocate on his own blood first. Ellis didn't think it would be possible to determine which had actually finished him. He turned toward Felix to share this conclusion, just as Felix poured a bottle of saline on the jumbled pile of organs in the middle of the table. Behind Felix, the man's foot twitched. Hey, Ellis shouted, pointing at the foot. Felix jumped at the sudden urgency in Ellis's voice and looked where he was pointing, but the foot had gone still. What is it? Felix asked. He moved again when you dumped the saline on him. Felix thought for a moment, then said, There's a neural network in the stomach. Perhaps I triggered something. Maybe that's what happened earlier, too. 
Anyway, I just tore my glove thanks to that little start you gave me. I'm going to go clean up real quick. When I come back, I want to hear about that cause of death. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Felix went to one of the industrial sinks across the morgue, far from the operating table for sanitary reasons. A squelching crackle came from somewhere inside the corpse, demanding Ellis's attention. As he looked the corpse over, he thought its grayish-blue skin had started to lighten. Curious, he closed the skin flaps he had made with his Y-cut and examined their topside. Yes, the blue hue had vanished. The tissue looked sickly, but not dead. When Ellis withdrew his hand, the fingertips of his latex gloves came away with wet red blood on them, enough to run down his index finger and pool in his palm. Felix was suddenly standing right behind him. Ellis showed him the glove. What is that? Felix asked. It's blood, I think. Did you cut yourself? Ellis looked both sides of his hands over and shook his head. Felix leaned over the corpse, examining the thin, wet layer which coated the deflated lungs. He then straightened slowly, breathed deeply behind his mask, and sighed so deliberately that Ellis wondered if he was counting out his breath. That's abnormal, was all Felix said. Ellis waited for more, but no more was offered. Instead, Felix donned a new pair of gloves and pulled the Y-flaps back again. The rib bones, those that had punctured the lungs and pierced the heart, now all lay on top of the chest organs. They were still broken, but no longer embedded in the tissues. They looked like puzzle pieces patiently waiting to be clicked back together. Did you move those? Felix asked. Ellis shook his head no. Felix shoved a handful of towels into Ellis's hands, pointed at the now-dripping chest cavity, and said, Dry up as much of the blood as you can. I'll bring over a bucket for the spent rags. When you can, take out those ribs and put them on the other table so we can have a look. Ellis did as he was told, pressing dry towels gently onto the lungs, the heart, the diaphragm. This was all wrong. Dead bodies don't bleed especially not bodies that spilled all their blood on the shoulder of a freeway. Felix returned with the bucket. Ellis lifted a saturated rag to throw it away, but froze. Two of the ribs beneath it had reattached to the sternum as if they had never broken at all. Felix gasped. That's impossible. How could it... Maybe we should call someone, Ellis suggested. Who exactly would we call? Felix replied. Ellis swallowed and shrugged. Cover it, Felix ordered. I need to think. Ellis tried to argue, but Felix just pointed at the wadded sheet at the foot of the bed. 
Ellis did as he was told, then followed Felix across the room, where they both leaned against a polished steel countertop. We didn't take any photos, Felix thought aloud. I always start with photos, but with you here I got all out of order and... Sorry, I'm not blaming you, it's just... No one's going to believe this. What do we do? Ellis asked. Felix replied quicker than he expected. Start documenting everything. The camera's in the cabinet up there. He pointed. I want to collect some of that fresh blood for the lab and... What am I saying? This is insane, isn't it? Ellis found the camera and anxiously approached the shrouded corpse. Fresh blood stains had soaked through the sheet. He turned the camera on and, before he could convince himself not to, yanked the sheet back. The ribcage was now whole. Blood from somewhere within coursed over the bones, not as if pumped by the heart, but like it was erupting from a constant low-pressure spring. Every red cell was absorbed back into the corpse. Not a drop was wasted on the table. And, Ellis wondered, had the piled guts become more organized? There were the battered kidneys in their rightful place, the filleted liver approximately where one might expect it. We're running out of time, Felix observed. Time? Time for what? asked Ellis. It doesn't matter, Felix said. We can't keep screwing around. Felix stormed over to the phone mounted on the wall and dialed an extension. Hello? Yes. Could you transfer me to chaplaincy services? He asked. Chaplaincy? Ellis realized what Felix was thinking and became slightly nauseous. A professor had once told Ellis's class, the chapel is the only place in a hospital where science gets checked at the door. Anywhere else in the building, you'll find machines and medicines all based in science being used and administered by people trained in science. Yet there's one small place reserved for something that can't be studied, measured, or proven. Why? One of the students succinctly described the chapel as insurance for spiritual possibilities. Well, Felix had apparently decided it was time to put that insurance policy to the test. Ellis looked at the corpse's still face. Still. He did not consider it lifeless anymore. Just still. Like the man was only asleep. Before, even through his mask, Ellis had been able to smell the foul odors expelled by the bisected body but now they were gone. Something was sewing the corpse together, cleansing it, preparing it. The chaplain's on his way, Felix reported as he hung up the phone. Let's just hope this doesn't progress any further before he gets here. Ellis happened to glance into the guts on the gurney. There was a brown tendril like a hair dangling from them. The end of the long tendril was moving. It reminded Ellis of an earthworm, the way it appeared to duck and swivel around like it was searching for somewhere to go. Ellis leaned in. He saw the tendril was a dark shade of purple, not brown. Up close, it reminded him less of hair and more of a nerve. It was either slithering out of the intestines or growing from them. Ellis couldn't tell which. Felix, he whispered loudly, and his mentor jogged over. Ellis shirked back as Felix touched the tip of the tendril with his gloved hand and retched as it coiled around Felix's finger. As if determining the finger wasn't what it was after, 
the strand uncoiled and extended further, reaching. Ellis eyed a pair of shears. He wondered what would happen if he cut the dangly thing. Some kind of parasite that was living in his digestive tract, Felix offered. Ellis thought, you're supposed to be the expert. You've never seen this before? He asked. Felix shook his head. He waved his hand in front of the thing and watched it recoil as if coming against an invisible force field. It moved around Felix's hand, then extended itself toward the other half of the corpse. Felix, Ellis whispered. He didn't know what made him think the tendril could hear him. Is it trying to reach the legs? It wants to connect them, Felix realized. To Ellis's surprise, Felix issued a sigh of relief. I still don't know what the hell it is, but maybe we can handle this without the chaplain, thank God. No pun intended. Ellis asked, how? You need to know we're going to get in trouble for this, Felix said. He positioned himself between Ellis and the body, creating physical separation between his intern and the corpse to try to help the young man think rationally about his future. Get in trouble for what? Ellis asked, feeling frustrated. He looked over Felix's shoulder. His Y-cut was healing. He accepted this with dry resignation. Why not? Why wouldn't a dead body be able to heal more rapidly than any living person in history? If this is some kind of parasite that's mutated or, or perhaps as yet undiscovered, I won't risk it getting loose. It might infect other bodies or, worse, more of the living. The hazardous waste furnace is just down the hall. I might lose my career and maybe my freedom for it, but I'm torching this corpse before that thing can do whatever it's trying to do. No, Ellis said aghast. You can't. That would be completely illegal, not to mention unethical. You can't, Felix replied. I know the rules and I'll accept the blame. Help me push this guy to the furnace, then get out of here. Ellis raised his hands and backed away. He backed up until he bumped against the table with all their tools and bloody rags. The shears were in the corner of his vision. He slowly dropped his right hand toward them. I get it, Felix said. Behind him, the tendril continued to search, rotating like a periscope. Felix said, Just don't get in my way. Can't you see this thing is conscious somehow? It could be extremely dangerous. I know, Ellis said. He snatched the shears off the table and bounded forward. Felix jumbled abrupt syllables as Ellis's hand swooped down with the open shears. In a perfect, swift motion, he severed the spindly tendril. It dropped to the floor, totally still. The upper half of the corpse spasmed, back arching like it was waking from a long, deep sleep. The mouth made a rattly sucking sound, and the chest expanded. Felix shouted and pulled the gurney away. When Ellis reached for it, Felix shoved the gurney at him, knocking him back. Stay out of my way, Felix shouted. He pulled the gurney toward the morgue door before Ellis could recover. Ellis chased him into the hallway, then stopped, deciding if Felix wanted to do this, he should let him. He could say he tried to stop it. Felix rushed the corpse down the hall and went through a door marked with multiple hazard warnings. Ellis just stood stupidly by the morgue door. A low whoosh came through the door Felix had gone through. Then, Felix screamed. 
Ellis ran down the hall, pushed open the door, and found his mentor struggling to free himself from the regrown tendril. It had wrapped itself around Felix's neck and shoulders, and Ellis saw the end of it feeling around Felix's nose and eyes. He leapt forward, but it was too late. The tendril found a tear duct and plunged in. Felix screamed louder as the tendril entered him. His head shook, his hands went stiff. Ellis froze. The furnace rumbled and growled. Ellis could feel its heat, even with the hatch closed. He looked up at the camera mounted in the corner and figured any action he took at this point could be justified by the footage. He went around Felix to open the furnace hatch. Heat blasted at them. Felix had wanted it hot as soon as he tossed the corpse in, which is what Ellis did now. He grabbed it by the shoulders, noting that his incisions had entirely sealed as if sewn together from top to bottom, and slid the body into the flames. A high screech came from inside, and the tendril drove deeper into Felix's eye. It didn't seem to weaken even as the corpse blackened inside the furnace. Ellis tried to close the hatch to sever the tendril, but one of Felix's stiff hands grabbed his coat and pulled him back. He turned to face Felix, to tell him to let go, but Felix's eyes were vacant with terror. Well, one eye was. The other was full of blood, which poured out and down his cheek. Me, Felix whispered hoarsely. Put me in, please. No, Ellis answered. The shears. He thought he had dropped them on the gurney, but they must have fallen off. He shouted, It's going to be okay, and ran back to the morgue to retrieve them. A man wearing a tie with a hospital badge around his neck was coming down the stairs, but Ellis ignored him. He searched for the shears and found them laying right beside the severed tendril, which thankfully still lay motionless. Down the hall, a voice he didn't recognize shouted, No, don't! Then there was a howl of agony and a stifled yell. Shears in hand, Ellis ran back to the furnace. The man who had come down the stairs stopped him at the door, planting his palms firmly into Ellis's chest. Don't go in there, don't, it's too late, he said. Ellis pushed him out of the way. Felix had tossed himself in. His calves and feet were the only parts of him protruding from the blazing, open furnace. Then, flames belched forth from the furnace's belly and engulfed what was left of the mortician. The other man pulled Ellis away, pushed him into the hall, and closed the door. He pushed a red button on the wall outside the furnace room, labeled in bold capital letters, Emergency shut off. On the other side of the door, the furnace silenced. The man who had come down was the chaplain. He stayed with Ellis until first hospital security, then the police arrived. They interviewed both of them and reviewed the security footage. A pathologist was called to examine the segment of the tendril Ellis had cut, but by the time she arrived, it had dried out it crumbled when she tried to examine it. Anything that might have been studied had been torched in the furnace. Ellis was not criminally prosecuted, but his career was over nonetheless. He is currently a dishwasher and spends much of his time contemplating what he witnessed that day in the morgue. He wondered if he would ever learn what that awful thing was or how it was able to repair a mangled corpse. He wondered what would have happened 
if they had allowed it to stitch the whole body together. He wondered where it had come from, too. The jungle? The ocean? Outer space? Had the motorcyclist known it was inside him? Most of all, Ellis wondered if similar organisms were still out there, and hoped against all hope that Felix's sacrifice had destroyed the only one. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. The next best way is to buy merch from the warningwoods.myshopify.com. The link is also in the description below. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at the Warning Woods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the Warning Woods. Thank you for listening. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.